following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. So our text today is Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. So let's go ahead and read. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, when I first began meditating on this passage, I figured this was a pretty much a, you know, a softball kind of passage to preach, right? I mean, we all, we all like love. No one despises the concept of love. We, it's a great subject, right? And we all love the idea that, that God is love. No one objects to that. We all love the idea that God loves me. And, and we all like the idea of loving each other. But here's the problem. Loving your neighbor is really hard. And if you love people the way God calls you to love people, it is going to hurt. It's going to sting. You will face tremendous disappointment. And you know that, right? It's not your enemies or the people that you hardly know that keep you up at night, that really hurt your soul. Or that wear you out trying to care for them and serve them. No. It is real Christian love. It is real care for people that ends up leading to the deepest hurt. And because of how painful real Christian love oftentimes is, most people don't want to come anywhere close to it. And our society has come up with all sorts of cheap imitations. So we, we talk, as a culture, we talk all the time about love. It's in all of our songs, all of our movies, all of our books, all of our entertainment. But most of our talk about love is just talk. And it's really more about loving me than it actually is about loving people the way Jesus loves us. But as Christians, we cannot settle for a cheap imitation. The Bible tells us, 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. And we know that He's love because He proved it at the cross. He, he goes on to say, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or, or, or the, the sacrifice for our sins, the, the one who took God's wrath in our place. He did that for us. And because God loves you that way, John goes on to say, if God so loved us, we also ought to love the brethren. That's what God demands. Now, when you really begin to think about what that means, it's overwhelming. It's scary. In fact, it is impossible Except for the fact 
that we as Christians are united to Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So, so we don't just know the love of God in Christ. We have the capacity in Christ to love people the way God loves us. So Christian, you don't have to settle for a cheap imitation. You can love the way God loves you. Now it will hurt. It will devastate you. It will crush you at times. But you don't have to fear that hurt. Because God will give you the grace to endure whatever it is that He has for you. And so, my challenge today is to love your neighbor the way Christ loves you. And if you don't know the love of God in Christ, I pray that today you will see what it really means that God loves us and and how He proved that at the cross. And that you will leave knowing the love of God through the forgiveness of the Gospel like you have never known love before. And if you do know Christ, I want you to raise the bar. Take the next step in in your love for neighbor. And do so knowing that you can get there by the grace of God. And to do that, I I really want to work today from, from principle to practice. Because you really have to understand what Christian love is before you, you will understand how it works itself out in your life. So, so, so I got four main ideas today, and, and the first main idea I want us to understand is that love is the Christian ethic. Like, it's not just incidental to what it means to be a Christian. Love is the Christian ethic. Now, now notice in our text that, that Paul makes three big statements about the priority of love. First of all, verse 8 He says at the end of the verse, he says, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then in verse 9, he he mentions four of the Ten Commandments, and really thinking of, of not just the Ten Commandments, but the entire Old Testament law, he says, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in case we didn't quite get it yet, he says again in verse 10, love is the fulfillment of the law. So is loving your neighbor an important part of godliness? Can you be a spiritual person and lock yourself in a corner and avoid people? No. I mean, God is clear that loving your neighbor is at the heart of godliness. But, but to truly appreciate how important it is, you have to understand what exactly does he mean though when he says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, now you might assume, well, well, all that he means there is just simply that, that love is a summary of the law or, or a fundamental expression of the law. And in, and in part, you would be correct. You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 22 that the whole law, the, the entire Old Testament hangs on loving God and loving your neighbor. And so what he's saying there is that all the laws that God gave in the Old Testament, they are all expressions of how you to truly love God and how to truly love your neighbor. But, but I believe that, that Paul is doing more here than just simply telling us that love is at the center of obeying the Old Testament law. And, and that's because we, we've talked about the fact that Christians are free from the Old Testament law. So, so keep your finger here, but, but turn back to chapter 7. Alright, just a little review here. Romans chapter 7. And I want to read verses 4 through 6. 
All right? It's been a while since we've been here. So Romans chapter 7, verse 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. Speaking of the law of Moses, die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, so, so notice here in context that Jesus compares our relationship to the Old Testament law to the death of a spouse. And, and the Old Testament, and so his point is, is that the Old Testament law is dead. Now, it's still God's inspired word, but we are not bound to the Old Testament law. Instead, he says, we have been joined to Christ. And now we serve, he says, in the newness of the Spirit or in the power of the Spirit of God. And Galatians 2 says the same thing. It says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So, so I am not bound to the Old Testament law. And, and then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And specifically there, free from the Old Testament law. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't put yourself under the law. Now folks, that's a reality that, that we should celebrate. That Christ has freed us from the law. He's given us grace. We, we are not just His slaves, we are His children. So, so we are free from the law. But, but, but here's the question that then comes up. Well, well, does that mean that I'm not bound to any law at all? That I can just do whatever I want and live however I desire? Well, the New Testament teaches that we are under the law of Christ. That we must obey what Jesus has said. And it consistently teaches that, that the law of love, that we are especially bound to the law of love. Now, now again, Galatians 5 is really helpful here because, because right after Paul says in, in verse 1, do not put yourself under the yoke of slavery in the law, he then goes on to say in, in verses 13 and 14, he says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only, and, and that's freedom there from the law. You, you are not under that law any longer. But he says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, right? Because that's the temptation we all think, right? I'm free. I can do whatever I want. But that's not actually the goal. No, instead he says, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so Paul is very clear there that, that hundreds of laws have been boiled down into one. Christians are bound to the law of love. And this love is at the very center of New Testament godliness. Loving your neighbor is at the heart of what it means to, to, to serve the Lord. And Jesus established that. The, the night of His betrayal, He said in the upper room, He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are My disciples 
if you have love for one another. So, so Jesus says that our love for each other is the defining characteristic of God's people. And if we're still not sure, James 2.8 says the same thing. It says that, that if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. That's what God expects. So, so the New Testament teaches that one result of the cross is that Jesus has boiled hundreds of laws down in, into a central focal point. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so rather than getting caught up in all the technicalities of the law, did I do this thing? Did I do that thing? Did I do this over here or that over there? God is saying that we need to focus on just simply loving our neighbor the way Jesus has loved us. And, and so, and, and, and we as well, we've seen that the Spirit gives us the capacity to do that. So I want you to understand just how crucial this is. You know, I mean, people will joke about, you know, I love God, I just don't love His kids. Right? Or, or we'll joke about, you know, all sorts of things like that, that, you know, I can just be godly in my closet. And that's just not possible. Christianity, godliness, is defined by loving your neighbor. It is at the very heart of it. And, and, and so everything is focused on, on this idea. Of course, second to our love for God and our service to God. Now, now my, you might hear all that and think, well, that sounds really simple. I can just get rid of all that other stuff and I can just love my neighbor. And it's simple, but it is not easy. Christ hasn't lowered the bar. Instead, we're going to see that Christ has raised the bar. Because Christ Himself is the standard, is the standard of Christian love. You know, so, so Jesus, again, He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. We are to love the way Jesus loves us. Now, when Jesus says it's a new commandment, He does not mean that this was the first time anyone ever gave a commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. The Old Testament had said that long ago. But what's new is that our standard of love is the love of Jesus. The love He demonstrated in His life on earth. And He says it again just a couple of chapters later in John 15, verse 12. He says, this is My commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now think about that. Think about the standard that Jesus is giving us. We are to love each other the way God has loved us. Now by the way, that means then that you can't just define loving your neighbor the way, however you want to define loving your neighbor. You know, you know, despite what so many people claim, uh, you can't you know, choose love in the sense that, that you approve of, of, of just anything that people do or, or give your, yeah, give your approval to, to any sinful behavior. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. To, you know, to, you know, love is not to go out and commit adultery or fornication. Because that's not love. We, we have to love the way God loves us. It's bogus to think then that you know, just the fact that I call someone lo something love or think that this is love necessarily means that it is loving my neighbor as yourself. No, no the, what the world wants to call love is oftentimes sin. 
And it sends people down a path towards eternal destruction. So true love always seeks the eternal best for its object. So that is very important to understand. If I'm going to love like Jesus, I have to love in accordance with a biblical ethic, biblical standards of godliness. And as well, Christ's love is always anchored to truth, righteousness, and holiness. So so you can't love well unless you love in accordance with every other biblical command that we have. So we, we just... Uh, before Christmas, looked at a number of those in Romans chapter 12, verses 9-21, through 21, where God gives us a whole series of standards about how it is that we love each other. So, so loving people well demands that you obey everything that God has commanded. But, but the big idea I want you to get is that under the law of Christ, it is no longer just enough that, that you reach certain external standards of what it means to love people. No, by the resurrection power of Jesus, the law has been fulfilled. And you must love each other the way Christ has loved you. That's the standard. And that brings me to the second truth I want to drive home today, which is that love is the highest standard. Now, I want to start to get a little more practical here. What does it really mean to obey this command? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, first of all, it means that you love without limits. Now, now we like to put limits on our love. I tried. I tried. Or or I did my duty. Or, well, it just got too hard. It got really painful, so I had to quit. But Jesus does not put those limits on our love. He says, this is my commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, now you might think, well, he can't possibly expect me to go that far, can he? But but right, I mean, but notice, I mean, he says there, and, and he says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he adds, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And what's he saying there? I mean, he, he, he of course, looks ahead to, to his impending death. And right after he says, love one another the way I have loved you, he looks ahead to what he's going to do on the cross. And he's saying, you need to love each other like that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 is especially blunt. This is a great verse. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now that is an incredible verse. An incredible verse when you really meditate on what John is saying. And John stood there and watched Jesus die on the cross. He knows what it means that Jesus laid down His life for us. And He tells you, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, to lay down your life for the brethren. Now, 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 sure, even though your love should have no limits, you have limited time and capacity, right? You can't meet every need. And if you're striving to love like Jesus, you're going to have to make some hard priority decisions. That is absolutely the case. So, so I'm not saying today that, that you have to say yes to every need. Neglect your family. Empty your bank account. Neglect your job. 
be a poor husband or dad or mother or wife. To love like Jesus. Right? So, so be wise. Prioritize your time, your energy, your heart well. But understand at the same time that Jesus died for you. And He commands you to lay down your life for the brethren. So the fact that loving people is hard does not excuse you from loving them. Jesus never says, love people unless it really hurts. Love people unless it gets really uncomfortable and hard. He never says that. He only says, love the way I have loved you. He never says, love people unless they're jerks. Unless they don't appreciate you. Now, I mean, think about the fact, Jesus loved you when you hated Him. He loved you when you wanted nothing to do with Him. So, so don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. And don't worry about being loved in return. Do not idolize your comfort and your happiness over the people of God. God says love without limits. And then a second challenge I want to give is to focus on the heart, not on technicalities. Now, now returning to our text, Romans 13 verse 9 cites four of the Ten Commandments. It says there, it says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, and do not covet. Now, now all those, of course, are very important expressions of genuine love. It's kind of hard to love your neighbor as yourself and then kill him, right? So, uh, so these are important ideas, right? But, but let's just be honest. These four commands are not that difficult to obey. Like, I have never in my life been seriously tempted to murder someone. I've never been seriously tempted to commit adultery. I probably at some point in my life have stolen something. But I don't walk into church on Sunday morning wrestling with the temptation to steal from the people in this building. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with coveting at times. But again, I, I can, by the grace of God, I can manage envy and jealousy pretty well. Right? Like, like envy and jealousy are not just overwhelming sin struggles in my heart. And so, because we can manage those kinds of things, we are very tempted to define love by meeting those kinds of manageable standards. And what happens? We essentially become legalistic lovers. Well, I did these things. I've never murdered anyone, so I love my neighbor. I don't steal anything, so I love my neighbor. But, but Jesus, He takes the hammer to that sort of thinking in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And we won't take the time to look at it, but, but He says, for example, that it is not enough that you don't murder. You have to drive anger out of your heart. He says it's not enough that you don't commit adultery. He says you have to love so well that you never look at a woman with lust in your heart. And he says it's not enough that you love your friends. He says you must love your enemies. And so verse 9 is not merely calling you to obey the Ten Commandments or to satisfy your conscience by meeting some technical standard of love. No. God is calling you to truly love people. God is calling you to, to a higher standard. So I think it's really important that we don't think of love merely in terms of duty. Now sadly, we, we do that all the time. You know, 
Do you love your neighbor? Well, I said hi to her. I smiled. I liked his Facebook post. I sent him a card. You know, I, I didn't lie. You know, how many men out there, you say, do you love your wife? And say, of course I love my wife. I provide for her. I've never hit her. I've never cheated on her. I, I give her a, a Christmas present. I take her on dates. So of course I love my wife. Look at all the things that I do. And of course, we can all see through that. That that is not ultimately the definition of love. It's legalism. It's boiling love down to a, a technical standard that I can meet. And God is not impressed. Now, 1 Peter 1.22 commands you fervently love one another from the heart. So the standard that God sets is very high. It is very high. And it's not one that you can just easily kind of you know, absolve yourself of and walk away from. It is very high. So do you feel overwhelmed? Well, well don't despair. No, rather understand or, or rely on limitless power. Now, now I understand, and, and I've you know, prayed and thought a lot about this this week, about the fact that I'm pushing you to think hard and to press yourself in, in ways that are uncomfortable. And I understand most people don't talk this way. You know, we just assume there's no way that I can love without limits. But, but Jesus can demand unending love because He gives unending grace. Look back at Romans chapter 8. I think it's good for us to just remember some of these things. Romans chapter 8, and I want to read verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Romans 8 verse 3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, meaning produce righteousness in us, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if you are in Christ, you have a power that no one else has. You have the Holy Spirit of God in your hearts. And you can, by the grace of God, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now yes, if you do that, if you do what Christ demands, you will make yourself vulnerable to overwhelming disappointment and hurt. Now how, how can Jesus expect you to love a spouse who gives you no love in return? I mean, you try and try and try, and you just run into a brick wall. How can He expect you to pursue meaningful relationships again and again after you get hurt again and again and again? How can He expect you to keep you know, pushing to, to disciple and, and grow Christians when, when it seems like just every time it, it fails? You know, how, how could God expect you to, to, to not just cut off every person that, that hurts you and discourages you, that, that our culture calls toxic? Well, Jesus can demand that because He will be with you every step of the way. He will not forsake you. So the question is, is do you believe that the grace of God is sufficient? Do you believe Him? 
And do you believe, and this is important too, that that God might have something better for you on the other side of working through the, the hardship of love than merely your comfort and happiness. I think that's a a real challenge, right? I want to feel good. I want to be comfortable. And so the easy thing to do is to just put myself in, in in a box that protects me from harm. But by the grace of God, God might have something better for you, a sanctifying work for you, that is far more important than any of that. Now, I understand. I'm a pastor. And and loving the sheep is oftentimes extremely painful and disappointing. And and I used to focus a lot of my energy on protecting myself from from that hurt. Like, i got to build the calluses. i got to make sure I don't love too much because I don't want to get hurt. But I've really come to believe that 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 is my God-ordained calling to love. It is my calling to love people and to bear those burdens And I believe it's really the calling of all of us. And I really believe that God's grace is enough to sustain me through that burden. That I can love and I can endure the pain of loving because I have the grace of God. Now sure, I need to set wise boundaries. But I'm not going to waste my time worrying about burning out. I'm going to trust the grace of God and do His will. And I would challenge you to do the same. Love like Jesus. And don't fear the path ahead. Because God will sustain you. He is faithful. He will sanctify you. He will use you. And the fruit of all of that will be worth far more than any comfort or happiness that you left behind in the process. So so love like Jesus. Don't fear the consequences of love. Trust the grace of God. And then with the rest of our time, I'd like to focus on two practical expressions of this love that our text highlights. And so the third major truth in this passage is that love keeps no ledger. Love keeps no ledger. So so look at the beginning of verse 8. Paul says, but... I'm in the wrong chapter. He says in verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. So so Paul begins here with a really practical aspect of love and righteousness that that frankly could merit a whole sermon. So he said in verse 7 that you need to pay your taxes to the government. And now he expands by saying, don't just meet your obligations to the government. Meet your obligations to all people. Now, I do just want to be clear that, that he's not saying that it is always wrong to have debt. Because the Bible frequently gives allowances for responsible debt And even gives allowances and and actually calls on Christians to at times love their brother by by giving them a loan. So so the point is not that all debt is wrong. Rather, the point is is that Christians should never be negligent in paying their debts. Why? Because your honor, your integrity is at stake. So Christians need to keep their commitments. No matter what our world says about all all the the loopholes and so forth you can use to get out of of your debt and so forth, Christians should pay their debts. And love demands that we repay those that we owe, lest we, of course, put them in a difficult spot also. So, I challenge you, as much as possible, avoid debt. Be content with what God has provided. If you can't afford it, 
Don't buy it. Wait until you have the money to do so. And if you do take out a loan, pay it back. Keep your commitments. Be the kind of person that when you give your word, when you sign your name, when you shake a hand, people can be confident that you will do what you have said. But but in this context, owe no one anything is really mostly just a setup for the second part of that statement. Because Paul goes on to say, except to love one another. Now that is a fascinating statement to think about. You know, why is a love debt okay? Whereas a financial debt, for example, is is not okay. Well, clearly, it's because this is a debt that you can never fully repay. When your love obligation is limitless, that's the point. So, So you can never say that I have fulfilled my obligation, I have paid my love debt, boom, we're done, see you later. There's no mortgage burning with your love debt, for example. So, so you, can, you can never say, you can never truly say, well, just, I did my part. I tried. God, God doesn't expect me to love this person anymore. Now, now of course, that doesn't mean that, that if someone refuses to respond to your love, that you just continually go after them. I mean, you know, just run yourself into a brick wall over and over and over again. Right? I mean, we, we have to be wise about those sort of things. Sometimes the best way you love someone is to draw a line in the sand and, and to be clear about what is right and wrong. And so that sort of, of qualifier needs to be put in place. Or sometimes you have to prioritize other people and other obligations. Right? So, so you can't just consume yourself with chasing one person over here and then neglect other opportunities and other du- duties that God has given you. So, so there's lots of qualifiers, all right, that, that I'm hoping that you with a wise brain can, can put on what I'm saying here, all right? So, so understand all of that. But God clearly means that we must never view love merely as a legalistic duty. No. You have to be ready to lay down your life for the brethren. So don't become, diff- don't become calloused to that difficult spouse. Keep loving. Keep serving. No matter how hard he or she might be. Now some of you have quit on a difficult relationship because you feel like you have satisfied your obligation. Keep loving. Maybe you folded your arms and said, you know, I'm not moving. He's the one that needs to move. So I'm here. But I'm not going anywhere until he goes somewhere. And understand that that very often we are guilty of turning love into a financial ledger. It's all about credit and debt. And and so, you know, it's, it's, it's as if we've turned love into, well, I gave you 50 bucks. Now you owe me 60. And then maybe I'll give you a little in return. But God says that's not how love works. I mean, he's saying here, that love does not keep track of credit and debt. There's no ledger, mental or otherwise, to true love. For example, I I understand understand this pastorally, that that, it hurts when when you pour your soul into someone. You try and serve them, care for them, and then they, they, they don't appreciate it all and they just walk away. 
after loads of investment. That happens and it hurts. Very often people, hurting people, hurt the most the people who have invested the most. Because that's who they're close to. And it stinks. It stinks when you have tried and tried and tried and, and all you get in response is some gruff lack of appreciation. And, and what, but, but what do, how do we oftentimes reply to that? Don't you appreciate all I did? And we start listing off all the ways that we've loved you. Look at all I've done for you. You should love me back. You should appreciate all that I've done for you. And the truth is, is is that that sort of challenge rarely lands like we think it's going to land. I mean, we think we have given the open and shut case and this person is going to fall on their knees and love us in return. But but it doesn't generally land like we want because it's not real love. Because the moment you start thinking of love in terms of credit and debt, you've begun to love yourself, not love the other person. It's about you, not them. And people can generally see right through it. And it kills relationships rather than building them. You know, I think I mean, this happens so much in marriage. Husbands and wives do not keep a mental ledger, much less, much less a paper ledger, of, of your credit and debt with your spouse. I did these four things for my wife yesterday. So today she needs to give me these three. Look at all I did for you. Where's what I deserve? That happens all the time in marriages. And it ruins them. You don't love your spouse so that you'll get these things over here. You love your spouse. You you love your wife because she is your bride. You love her like Jesus loved you. And wives, the same to your husband. The same goes in the church. You know, don't think, well, I did these three things for this guy. Why hasn't he done anything for me? Just love. Same goes for extended family. Every other connection. And true love keeps no ledger. You don't need to remember all that you've done. You just need to focus on loving like Jesus. And again, trust that the grace of God will be enough to care for your soul as you do so. So love keeps no ledger. And then the other challenge he gives is love never tolerates evil. So verse 10 begins with a very bold statement. It says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Now now Paul here is especially thinking of the kinds of sins he mentioned in verse 9. Things like adultery, stealing, or coveting. And what he's saying is that true love is always a holy love. It never sinks to the level of harming the other person. A true love is always obedient to biblical righteousness. So maybe someone has hurt you. Or they've betrayed you. And it feels really, really good to go in the other room and to rip on that person to other people. And it just feels good to, to get it off your chest. But understand, that is slander and it is gossip. It is sinful and you need to put it away. Um, you know, maybe someone has sinned against you. And you've taken it on yourself to get a little bit of vengeance. Now, now you know better than to call it vengeance. But, but you have your ways. Of just kind of making sure 
that they get their tat for your tit. And, and, and so ladies, your husband did something unthoughtful. And instead of talking with him about it, or, or just giving him grace, you, know, you, you feel the need to give him the silent treatment. Or, or to withhold intimacy. You know, men, your wife did something and so you go bang around the garage or bang around outside. Now you didn't yell at her, you didn't hit her. But you made sure that her evening was very uncomfortable. Or, you just go sit in the computer and look at other women in a way that you know you should not. In order to put her in her place. Teenagers and children, some of you don't let your siblings get by with anything. Right? If brother or sister does the remotest thing against you, they, you have to get your pound of flesh. Mom and dad have to know they have to get in trouble. And you're not giving any grace. Now, aren't you thankful that God doesn't love you like that? Aren't you thankful that God is full of grace? That He loved you when you hated Him? That His love never changes? His grace is limitless? And His love is always holy and righteous? So God says to you, love does no wrong to a neighbor. So no matter what someone does against you, never compromise your convictions. Be holy. And even when other people fail you, do not sink to their level. Love like Jesus. Lay down your life for your friends. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, spend and be spent, whether you have loved in return or not. So God is calling you to love your neighbor as yourself. To, to love your neighbor the way Christ loves you. So, so first, do you know the love of God in Christ? And you, you can sit there, and of course you know in your head, God loves me. But, but do you know the love of God in Christ? Do you understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? He gave His life. And He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation to all who come to Him. And so if you have never received that forgiveness, then, then today I would urge you, to just go to God and admit to Him that you have sinned against His will. That, that He is the Lord and you have violated His will. There's nothing you can do to pay it back. Admit your sin. Confess your belief that Jesus is the Savior. That, that His death on the cross is sufficient to save your soul. And receive Him for yourself. If you've never done that, then, then the most important thing you can do in fact, the essential thing that you must do before you can ever truly obey this passage is to receive Jesus. To be born again. Because you need the Holy Spirit before you will ever be able to do what God is calling you to do in this passage. And so pray to God. Talk to us. Get saved. And once you are saved, commit to loving your neighbor the way Christ loves you. you know, I imagine that for some of you, the Holy Spirit has putting a very specific situation or a very specific person on your heart. And you know that you have not loved that person well. Now you don't want to go there. You're scared of the consequences of continuing to pursue and love. And you aren't sure that you can handle it. 
I want to urge you to believe that the grace of God is sufficient. God's grace will keep you as you do His will. And then obey Him. You will find joy in the will of God that you will never find serving yourself. And whether that love is returned or not, God's grace will be sufficient and you will come forth as gold. So love your neighbor the way Christ loves you. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the love that you have displayed to us in your Son. And oh God, I pray that that we would believe you, that we would trust you, that we would be overwhelmed by the love of God, and that we would love each other in the strength and power of your grace. And God, I'm sure there are heavy burdens all over this room that that this, this passage touches. And so God, I pray that Your Spirit would be near. That He would work, that He would give direction and wisdom and understanding. I pray that He'd give strength and encouragement and comfort. And Father, I pray that we would love well. That, that we would that we would serve people, that we would show the world that we are the disciples of Jesus by how we love each other. And so help us today and this week and the rest of our lives to do what you have called us to do in the strength of your unending grace. In Christ's name.